the purpose of our practice is to know and see things as they actually are. And what we see inclines the mind, inclines the mind towards letting go, towards release. Which is to say, if we see that there's on one hand pain, difficulty, confusion, and on the other hand there's the absence of pain, ease, clarity, then naturally the mind will incline towards what feels good, what's more peaceful, and towards what's more wise, both internally and as manifested in our behaviors. And this knowing and see things, seeing things as they actually are is really referring to knowing and seeing the operation of the mind, the operation of the heart as we engage with the world, as we, in this practice, not just engage with our own minds and bodies, but also other people. So we see what happens in that moment of interpersonal contact, in those situations where uh, the heart is moved in some way by the contact, by that touch of this complex other and what arises in that between. So we see what that we're, you know, we've been hearing today already that there's a kind of a, a pressure to speak or to pull away from speaking. That there's Um, a tendency of the mind to move into uh, agitation or confusion in these moments of contact. We're actually beginning to see that for ourselves. And one of the ways we're seeing it, pleasantly enough, is as it begins to diminish, we find ourselves actually more peaceful and happier as whatever that pressure is begins to diminish. And then we begin to see in that peacefulness, oh, well, there's, you know, still the lurching of whatever that energy is. So I'd like to talk about that energy, about that force, about that, what's, what's behind that pressure. Or we might say, what's pressurizing the system, the mind? at these moments of interpersonal contact. What's activating these desires and fears 
we can speak about this in just direct human experiential terms, but I'd like to orient those, that way of speaking, in the context of the Buddhist teachings, because you, many of you, most of you, have some experience with those teachings, and it gives you a, it fits it into that whole system of uh, knowledge and experience, actually. So we don't have to look any further to do this than the Four Noble Truths. Where the first truth is simply the fact of suffering. And in our case, of course, we're looking at the fact of interpersonal suffering. And the second Noble Truth that the origin of suffering is craving, or what I call hunger, and the cessation, of course, of the hunger is the cessation of suffering, which is the third noble truth, the fourth being the path to the cessation. So I'd like to invite you to consider that it's actually this very craving, this tanha, that pressurizes, that provides the energy behind these thoughts, these feelings that we want more, that we fear, that we um, somehow the mind doesn't settle. Somehow, the habits of the personality of the self are driven. So you might think of it as the fuel or the electrical current for a system that's already in place. What is that system? Well, we know that you know, we've already seen, you've seen in your own practice already, that the specific behaviors, the specific kinds of thoughts that you have rest on conditioning, on sankara, on your past thoughts, your past actions, your past speech that brought up, well, I like these kinds of people, I don't like these kinds of people, I tend to behave these, this way in these circumstances. My personality, you might say, in sum, is like this. Here's my personality. And based on my personality, I do these things. I construct my life this way. I have these roles, I have these relational uh, tendencies. You've explored this directly in your practice already. So it's along the rails or the, the guides provided by this conditioning, by these constructs, that specific behaviors come up and specific fears and specific hopes, specific reactions to specific people and specific uh, kinds of social opportunities or um, contacts. 
but it's the hunger behind that pushes us along those rails, that keeps us moving, keeps us grabbing, keeps us running away. And so keeps the system of more constructs along those lines being conditioned, you know, being um, uh, arising. So, in very, very short form, the Buddha spoke of three hungers. The hunger for pleasure, or kamatanha, the hunger for being or becoming of bhava tanha, and the hunger for non-being, vibhava tanha. And we understand the hunger for pleasure pretty well, I think. We certainly know what the hunger for sensual pleasure is. And we've again already seen, in just this short time of practice we've had, the hunger for interpersonal pleasure. And we already have a basis for understanding that there's a moment of contact with another person, which really is seeing and hearing and so on. But what we see, what we hear, what we're in proximity to is another person. And this touches, vibrates the sankara, the constructs. And if it's pleasant, we want the pleasant. That's simple. We hunger for the pleasure. And of course, conversely, we fear the pain. So we orient our lives along the specific rails of our conditioning, of our sankara, that, well, this kind of person is pleasurable to me. <laughs> this kind of person has caused me pain, or this kind of social encounter has been painful for me in the past. Or, we might even look more generally, I hunger for interpersonal contact because of the stimulation and excitement it gives me. Not with anyone, but almost anyone will do. <laughs> Just give me some, please. You know what I'm saying? Just make sure that I don't have none. Right? And that uh, fear of none is the fear of loneliness, right? The fear of the absence of those interpersonal contacts. Kind of a... Um, the feelings that come with that might be what? Emptiness, uh, uh, Almost, almost like a fear of death, isn't it? To, to, to be left alone like that, to really be isolated. And of course, for the child, for the infant, it was death. But for us as adults, it's kind of a death of the self, that loneliness. So that's the hunger for pleasure and the fear of loneliness. So we then 
further construct the self around that and satisfying that. Which is to say we develop a personality that will get us the interpersonal contacts that we seek so that that hunger can be met. We might be entertaining. We might uh, uh, take care of our grooming a certain way. We might um, do good things so we can be with good people. We might do anything so we can be with anybody. And based on our conditioning, we learn how to fill those kinds of needs. Some of us learn how to, let's say, uh, meet social needs by going to bars because that's what we learned in college, to give a really blunt example. More nuanced examples would be learning, let's say, to, um, to say things that are intellectually interesting or maybe even to say things that are kind so that we can get the kama, the pleasure that we tanha, hunger for. And if you want to look at it in, in you know, very traditional psychological terms, well, we learned to please our parents so that we could have the pleasure of their social response. But if you want to look at it in a very large lifetime-to-lifetime -lifetime Buddhist cosmology terms, it's this very hunger for pleasure that just motivates us from life to life. So we go then to the second hunger of bhava, bhava tanha, the hunger for being, for becoming, to exist. So the ego, the self wants to exist, the body, the survival of the body, and in that moment of interpersonal contact, the hunger to exist in the eyes of others, the hunger to exist interpersonally, to be, to become, to be something, to be seen. And the corresponding fear that we won't be seen, that we won't exist, a fear of non-being. So, Again, if we just look at our own experience, we see, oh, well, I was in, in uh, conversation with someone and I felt this urge to speak and I looked closely at what was going on at that moment and I wanted their eyes looking at me. I wanted in that moment to, to be seen to exist. And again, the particular personality strategies get built around this. How do we be seen? What do we do? Well, we, you know, we tell jokes and again, our, our grooming has a lot to do with being seen. And of course, we extend our 
on the energy of the bhavatanha, of the hunger for being, we extend our, um, active, our, our self through our possessions and we be seen through our possessions, through our snazzy automobiles, uh, through our, um, our college degrees or our jobs, through our homes. You know, look at my lovely home, how tasteful I am. So see my home like my home is to see me like me. Or maybe I could tell you about my meditation history and that would really impress you. You know? And I've been to Burma five times and you know, you tell your story to be, to exist. What drives that, right? Some, there's an energy, other, if, if there were no energy behind it, there would just be, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be at peace, you'd be happy, everything would be hunky-dory in me land. But it's not like that. There's a push, right? That's that energy, that's the push that we're talking about here. Tanha has the activator, the pressure in the system of the self pushing it to action that then further feeds and develops those constructs of the self and the life of that self and keeps the whole system moving, you see? So we enter into relationships where there's a mutual seeing going on, whether it's our marital relationships or our friendships. I feel so good with her, she sees me. Fine, I'm not calling it sick. I'm just trying to look at the energy behind it. That, it, that there is an energy there. I have to be very careful in talking about these things. It's so easy to see them as yet another um, axis on which we can judge ourselves. But really, it's just understanding the human condition. Would you judge yourself for, you know, really craving strawberries sometimes? It's really the same thing. It's just craving. And then finally, the vibhavatanha, the hunger for non-being, the hunger to escape, to get out, to get out of samsara, to get out of this life, to hide to um, to get out of the rough and coarse uh, tumbler that is being this sensitive creature we are, the urge to get out. And interpersonally, it's the urge to get out of that tumbler, right? To get out of being seen, to get out of interpersonal contact, the same way it's in the sensory world, the urge to get out of all of this life is too much. Vibhavatanha, to not become, I don't want to become, I don't want to exist, I want to escape, right? And 
So interpersonally, the urge to not exist in the eyes of the others, the urge to not be seen, and, or the fear of being seen, right? The fear of being exposed, the fear of intimacy, the fear that whatever is in here that's not okay, that's unworthy, that's somehow you know, behind the facade that looks pretty good, this, the, the back structure is kind of not really all that it appears to be and you don't want that seen. And based on this vibhavatanha, again, certain, uh, um, there's, a, there's a push in our lives which takes form according to our particular sankara, our particular personality, our cons- constructs, our history, what we've learned, the experiences we've had, the thoughts we've had. So, some of us are not seen by just being very quiet and we've developed a really nice strategy to become invisible back in the corner of the classroom or in a large group. Some of us are not seen by having a persona that we put out there. Actually, most of us are not seen by having a persona that we put out there. And then back here is all this stuff that no one's allowed in, right? So the persona might be very, look at me, look at me, because that's part of it too. And then there's that part, you know, don't look at me. I've got myself very well masked back here. So I'm, I'm, my urge back here is for non-being, to escape, to get out. We also develop strategies that just the way we extend our urge for being with the material world, with our cars and so on, well, we extend our urge for non-being with the material world. That's the use of, let's say, drugs and alcohol for escape, to get out, to not be. And it's the uh, constructing, let's say, of a lifestyle that has us uh, well hidden in our houses, our jobs. Some of us have a pretty clear sign hung on our bodies that says, stay away. That's another way. You know, behaviors, you know, I'm talking about behaviors that are, don't touch, that kind of stuff. Don't, don't even look. So, we can begin to see these uh, hungers operating because the mind is becoming more astute and present to experiences as it unfolds. And because we're becoming more astute and present in the moment of interpersonal contact unfolding, we're beginning to see the hints of these interpersonal manifestations of the hunger, hungers. 
Now, if you were sitting in silence only, sitting and walking in meditation, actually you would still see plenty of interpersonal hungers manifesting. Either just in relationship to the meditators next to you, you know, the very idea that there's anything like meditation that doesn't have some interpersonal element is, it would be a myth. Everything from the so-called Vipassana romance uh, to, you know, just feeling the pleasure of the company of another meditating with you and wanting the pleasure, talking about the hunger for the pleasure. Again, not calling it bad, just looking at the, the energy there. But also, aren't many of the thoughts that arise in meditation when the mind is sort of going off where it goes, thoughts about our relational lives? sort of processing that stuff, those sankharas, it's the, it's the emergence of those conditioned thoughts and emotions and the recycling in the mind. And so in that very moment, we may in fact be off in a cave and having an interpersonal experience. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, That's there. But here, in this practice, it's very direct because there is a person there. <laughs> you know? So, my desire to be with you, my desire to please you, to entertain you, my desire for you to entertain me, let's, you know, let's get a, a good giggle going here. Or, Gosh, you're really interesting. This is a great dialogue. You say such good things. I'm really excited to be with you. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we're gobbling. We're gobbling up you. You know, taking the pleasure in that. Or, you know, you say something and someone says, yeah, you know, I didn't think of it. You're, you really have a lot of wisdom. And we sit up and we smile. The self is doing just great now. You know, yeah, I, I got some wisdom. <laughs> Me. And the bhava, the becoming, is surging upwards, right? And there's the pleasure of, of, of the being. So the, you see, the, the kamatanha underlies the bhava and vibhavatanha, the pleasure of being, the pleasure of escape. So pleasure is fundamental. But we're talking for the moment about this pleasure of being seen, right? And we, we begin to see that. Or maybe we say something really wise, for sure it's wise, because the self knows it was wise, and no one pays any attention whatsoever. It's like, oh, damn. You know, I didn't get anything for that one. <laughs> and there's like a kind of a disappointment, 
because we weren't seen. And then there's that piece of I'm in relation with other human beings right now and whoa, this meditation is beginning to, you know, the mind is getting very refined and other people are really present with you, really looking at you, and you realize that you're kind of bare, you're kind of out there. I say, too much, right? And the vibhavatanha, the hunger to not be, to not be seen, kicks in and we back away either by adding some noise to the system, so whatever would have been seen is now kind of hiding behind the jokes and the stimulation and the, you know, let's just call it shallowness or something. Or simply by just getting quiet. Um, Or maybe we're just feeling the the pain of being seen. You know, maybe it's just uncomfortable. Maybe it just hurts. But, if the mind is awake, we see things as they actually are, right? That's where we started. Coming to see things as they actually are, which conditions relinquishment which is to say, rather than feeding these hungers every time they manifest through our conditioned behaviors, we see the pain associated, we see the the tension associated by this pressurized system, pressurized by the hungers, energized by the hungers, and rather than just follow the old moves of the personality, There's knowing. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. Without knowing, of course, we just do the next constructed move and the the whole cycle of samsara continues. But when there's knowing, say, wow. We notice the tension. And maybe just then, instead of following the habit of tension, we choose the ease, we choose the release, the letting go of that conditioned tendency. Which is to say we meet the hunger with awareness, with loving kindness, with the accept of relax, accept. And that energy doesn't, isn't fed just in that moment. It's not fed. And some fragment of kama is released. The system changes. The next moment is conditioned differently. So seeing things as they actually are conditions this relinquishment, this letting go, which conditions peace. This is, this is what the Buddha is talking about to put it back into 
canonical language of the foundation of wisdom, of uh, freedom, of wisdom, seeing things as they are, relinquishment, and peace. It's a natural progression that becomes possible with clear awareness and the kindness, the acceptance that goes with that, the loving kindness. So this gives us a context for our practice. Not just a Buddhistic context, you know, but a human context that can be experienced with our very own eyes, our very own hearts, very own body-minds.